Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Earlier this month, Governor Gretchen Whitmer publicly encouraged Michigan schools to offer all K-12 students the option of returning to their classrooms by March 1st. It wasn't an order, but the guidance issued by Whitmer was nevertheless a powerful glimmer of one aspect of life for kids and parents possibly returning to some kind of normal in the foreseeable future. However, it's important to note that how individual school districts take this guidance is going to vary quite a bit, depending on what's best for their specific communities and their student populations. We're going to spend the rest of the hour digging into what this means for students and for parents and for educators and how individual districts have been responding to the governor's recommendation. Joining me to break all of this down is someone who knows a great deal about Michigan education policy. Dr. Elizabeth Moji is the dean of the University of Michigan School of Education. Dean Moji, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. It's great to be here, as always. Yes. So I, I, I want to start with what my reaction was when Governor Whitmer said she wanted schools to come back to in-person learning by, by March 1st. I, I immediately thought of all the things we're not doing that would make that make sense from a safety perspective. And I kept thinking, well, if you want schools to come back by March 1st, why haven't we, for instance, put teachers at the front of the line universally for the vaccine, which would protect them from the virus while they're while they're in school with kids who don't seem to be as, as susceptible to it? I thought about all of the things that, that need to be done to make school safe by March 1st, and I wondered if there was just a disconnect maybe between what the governor was saying and what we've been doing. I'm, I'm curious about what your reaction was when she said that. Well, Stephen, I, I think we all agree we want children back in school. Um, we, you know, we've, we've seen as a result of this pandemic just how important schools are. Um, some of the critiques of schooling, uh, you know, in, in past years have been a little muted now that parents recognize how hard it is actually to educate their children. So I think we all agree we all want children back, but as you said, we want children back and teachers back safely. And so I, I think you're right that there is a, a bit of a disconnect because we have seen a really slow vaccination rollout. And as you said, um, teachers weren't even in the, you know, in the front of the line. Um, so we need to get teachers vaccinated immediately. This needs to, to speed up. And, um, you know, I'm hearing from teachers across, you know, southeast Michigan um, that some are vaccinated. They've had their first dose and others have not heard a thing. Um, you know, they're in, in a queue. Um, so, so I think that's, that's critical. Um, and then I think you're right. We need the funding necessary to make school spaces Safe, because even with vaccinations, we'll still have to mask. Um, there may be still some need for distancing because, of course, all the children won't be vaccinated um, and their children's parents won't necessarily be vaccinated and all the people they interact with may not be vaccinated. And so we're going to have to continue to engage in all the safety procedures and school districts need funding to help them do that. 
now we have hope, um, you know, for increased or a new a new wave of federal funding uh, to to the states that may help make that possible. And we'll just have to you know, wait and see. Um, I think that Governor Whitmer set March 1st as the date to give some time for both of those things to happen, vaccinations to roll out fully to teachers and for better funding streams. Yeah. Um, so uh, the majority of districts in the state have been offering at least an option for in-person instruction. This wasn't a mandatory order, but... It does seem to me that that districts were just kind of settling in to whatever it was they had decided to do in September and a scramble at this date to try to make in-person school possible for everyone might just reintroduce the kind of disruption and chaos that we saw last last spring when we had to suddenly go away from in-person and right to, to virtual What's your sense of, of how disruptive it might be at this point to, to try to force the idea of in-person school for everyone at, at a really soon date? That's a great question. I actually um, don't uh, see the districts as having settled into whatever they were doing. Hmm. I uh, saw a lot of districts going back and forth. Um, you know, because there were so many disruptions throughout the fall semester, I saw a number of districts uh, really scrambling in the fall semester to get things in place to be able potentially to uh, get back into school during the fall semester. I saw, you know, people um, struggling with hybrid uh, learning uh, experiences and trying to support teachers in doing those. I saw people uh, with, you know, like in Detroit Public Schools, they have learning centers available for all the students who want to be in person. But in a lot of cases, if not all or most, um, they're simply learning online in person. So, you know, a whole variety of uh, activity going on. And my sense from, you know, my connections with the districts, with the range of districts, is that they were constantly working on how can we get kids back into school, and what will winter look like? And now I think it's just more of the same, that they're not necessarily scrambling, but they're continuing the activity without those two pieces, Hmm. the funding they need and the vaccination rollout that they need to make that happen. Hmm. We're talking about the return of in-person school which has begun to happen in some school districts. I've seen lots of families on social media talking about sending their children off to school for the first time this year. Governor Whitmer says she'd like everybody to be able to do that by March 1st. Give us a call and tell us if you think that's possible, if you think that's a good idea. Uh, Do you think we're doing the right things to get to that place where we could send all of the children in the state back to school safely? Uh, the number here, as always, on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or to Twitter, put comments there, and we'll try to work them into the conversation. We'd especially love to hear from parents and educators about what your reaction is to this idea of a March 1st return to in-person learning. Also, do you feel like you're getting the information or the resources that you need to make sure that that's safe? If you're a teacher 
Uh, are you are you in line? Do you feel like you're going to get a vaccination before you might have to go back uh, and teach full time in the classroom? Uh, let's go to Leslie in Hazel Park. Leslie, welcome to the program. Thank you. Yep. Um, I'm speaking as a uh, ex uh, maintenance worker for a school district, and uh, there, there's one big thing that is, I've heard mentioned once before. But at any rate, um, it's air, the air circulation in all the schools. They can, there's already, um, devices that cleanse the air that goes through every classroom because they have to have by state law or federal law or something like that, uh, a certain amount of airflow for every classroom. Mm-hmm. And that would help tremendously until every single person got inoculated. And it also would work for other, uh, like flus and so forth down the line, but they, to, to sanitize the air in some fashion or another would be a, a huge step in the right direction. And it, and it wouldn't cost all that much comparatively. Mm. Uh, Leslie, I really appreciate the call and the thoughts about, about that issue, which I think is one of many that we have to worry about when we think about, the physical plants of, of schools and how they how they suppress the spread of the disease or facilitate it. Dr. Dr. Moji, talk about what Leslie is is raising here. Leslie's absolutely right. Uh, you know, ventilation systems in schools are not always uh, you know the best. Uh, many school buildings are quite old. Uh, and if they've been updated, they may have the kind of ventilation systems that Leslie's talking about. I know that districts uh, around, again, around southeast Michigan, those are the, the spaces I know the best, have worked on, um, you know, bringing in new ventilation systems. I even did it in my own school of education. We got um, air purifiers for every classroom to to try to get to the place that Leslie's talking about where, you know, we have really just better air circulating. The other piece that goes with um, ventilation is testing. And, you know, these are both really expensive propositions, mm-hmm. um, actually doing something to the physical plant and then providing the kind of testing that's needed to, you know, make people feel safe. Um, all the evidence, all the medical science tells us that with improved ventilation with masking with distancing it can be safe to return to school but the the behavioral and human science reminds us that people need to feel that sense of security they need to feel like the the system is actually going to you know be organized in a way that works for them and either keeps the teacher safe or the children safe and preferably both mm. Again, Leslie, thanks very much for the call. Let's go to Aaron in Ferndale. Aaron, what's on your mind? Hi. Um, I'm a parent in Ferndale of young kids, five and seven. We have not been back, um, had an in-person option at all since March, which has been very difficult. Um, I, I'm glad that Governor Whitmer is saying something about returning to school now. Um, I know it's not a mandate, but I think by her leaving it up to local district choice, it has put school boards and superintendents in an impossible situation of having to be data analysts and epidemiologists themselves Mm. um, and having to weigh 
you know, the needs of their teachers, with their students and the community. And um, I've been at every board meeting this year, and it's it's really, really tough um, without that guidance from the state. Mm. Yeah, Aaron, I think that's a you put your finger exactly on one of the primary problems we have, which is that the state has not taken the reins here in the way that it, that it should have and has left too much to individual school districts to figure out and to figure it out in terms of the resources that they need to, to make all of this happen. Uh, Dean Moji, I wonder what your reaction is to what Aaron's talking about. Well, Aaron's right. Um, you know, school boards all over the state are, are grappling with this as our superintendents and, you know, school leaders. And it is a challenge. Um, you know, it would be nice to have uh, centralized guidance, but the fact is we don't have centralized guidance in most things related to education. We are, uh, you know, very much a local school district uh, education system in our state. Uh, not all states operate in the same way we do. And so that puts some, you know, challenge in front of Governor Whitmer and her team, because if she makes a central mandate, um, that is seen as interfering with local district decision-making. So there is a, a push-pull here between centralization and decentralization. I agree that, you know, if funding were, um, you know, brought to the districts by the state, then there would be a, a mechanism for engaging the districts in, you know, shared decision-making. Uh, I want to go to Patricia in Farmington Hills now. Patricia, welcome to the show. Hi. Um, I am a retired teacher, uh, and I have a, a number of family members who are teachers in Michigan here in uh, special ed. And I know my son was called back to his district, which is a, a large district, uh, and uh, he's special ed. Now, he has been the only one called back. And uh, he uh, deals with um, students 18 to 26. Mm. And so it, it's been very difficult. The district has not really been prepared with funding of things for PPEs and masks and, you know, doing proper social distancing and how to handle. You know, it's a very difficult thing when you're dealing with um, students who have the special needs and have to be helped in toiletries and and making sure that they're trying to keep their mask on and and he had been very feeling very successful doing zoom and you know and he's concerned about his para mm -hmm. para pros that are there and uh so it's just kind of uh it's it, i know you know i feel very it's a very tough situation for teachers it's very tough for school districts and that but i do wonder why he had been in yeah. three, four weeks before the rest of the district. Has. Yeah. I mean, again, there's a haphazardness to this that I think there has people scratching their heads and yeah. maybe some people being concerned about the, the planning here and, and right. how, how deliberate it all is. Dean Moji, I wonder what your thought is here. Yes. Um, the, the question about, you know, is, is the is the system acting in a haphazard way? I, I actually think it goes back to the, the point I made just a bit ago, that mm -hmm. these are local decisions, mm -hmm. and um, it can feel haphazard because we're seeing all different kinds of school districts doing different things, and we also have independent schools and charters. So we see a lot of different 
approaches to this. But in the case um, that Patricia shared with us, you know, I'm guessing that her son was called back because, precisely because he is a special education teacher, and and our special education students, our special uh, needs learners, we know need more support, support that can't actually happen virtually. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting to me is the point that Patricia made about you know the lack of PPE, the you know n- not having good procedures for distancing. And this goes back to your point, Stephen. Why aren't teachers, or at least those teachers, special needs teachers, parapros, people who actually have to physically engage with learners, why aren't they number one? for vaccination and why aren't they masked up and given the kinds of um you know ppe that that medical workers would have okay dean elizabeth moji of the university of michigan school of education always great to talk with you here thanks very much for joining us thank you Stephen. it's gonna do it for us today Come back tomorrow for a look at ways medical professionals are treating COVID-19 with new methods and a conversation about how our culture created a stigma around mental illness. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.